Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we continue our series, Bold. In the past weeks, we've been exposed to some examples of what it means to be bold. This week, Lead Pastor David Fossil reminds us that our Commander-in-Chief has given us direct orders to be bold, courageous, and strong. Listen as Pastor Dave challenges us to stop wandering around in a spiritual desert and to realize that God has more in store for us than we can imagine. This story is entitled The Pastor's Cat. So a pastor had a kitten, uh, a pastor had a kitten that had climbed up a tree in his backyard and was afraid to come down. The pastor coaxed and offered warm milk and so on, but the kitty would just not come down. The tree was not sturdy enough to climb, so the pastor decided if he tied a rope to his car and drove away so that the tree bent down, he could then reach up and grab the kitten. That's what he did, all the while checking his progress in the car. And he then figured he, if he just went just a little bit further, the tree would be bent sufficiently for him to reach the kitten. But as he moved the car a little bit further, the rope broke, the tree went boing, and the kitten instantly sailed through the air out of sight. The pastor felt terrible. He walked all over the neighborhood asking people if they'd seen a kitten. No, nobody had seen a, a stray kitten. So he prayed, Lord, I commit this kitten into your keeping, and he went about his business. A few days later, he was at the grocery store and he met one of his church members. He happened to be looking into her shopping cart and was amazed to see cat food. This woman was a cat hater and everyone knew it. And so he asked her, why are you buying cat food when you hate cats so much? She replied, you won't believe this. And then he told him how her little girl had been begging her for a cat, but she just kept refusing. Then a few days earlier, the child had begged again. So the mom finally told the little girl, well, if God gives you a cat, I'll let you keep it. So she told the pastor, uh, so she, she told the pastor, my young daughter said to me, I have faith. She went outside, got on her knees, started praying and asked God for a cat. And really, pastor, you won't believe it, but I saw it with my own eyes. A kitten suddenly came flying out of the blue sky. Its paws outspread and landed right in front of her. And the story is entitled, Never Underestimate the Power of Prayer. Um, we are talking about prayer this morning, but let me, let me give you a big uh, perspective in, in terms of why and what we're doing. We've been making our way through the book of Joshua and, and trying to answer the question, uh, what do we have to do to win? And, and our theme verse, Joshua chapter one, verse nine, kind of, kind of summarizes what God has for not only the Jewish people, but for us. Let me show you what I mean. Let's put it up on the screen. Uh, God asks the question, if you want to win or makes a statement, if you want to win, to the Israelites, the Israelites, the win was stop wandering the desert and finally make it into the promised land. For goodness gracious, they'd been wandering for 40 years. That's a win for them. Bay Hills, if you want to win, if you want this facility initiative, if you want ministry progress, if you want to win for you, if you want to win in life, if you want to win in marriage, if you want to win in career, you know, uh, that's one of the reasons I've enjoyed this study is because there's so many overlapping, applicable principles, and we're not just focusing on on one thing. But if you want to win, in chapter one, your commander in chief, and that's very important. You have to understand the organizational chart and where you fit in in the organizational chart. You and I are infantry. He's commander in chief. And so when you look at Joshua chapter one, the thrust and you see it on the screen is, I'm ordering you. This is not a suggestion. 
This is not a principle. This is not an idea. This is not fill in the blanks in your sermon notes. I'm giving you a direct order. Be bold. Live boldly in life. Be courageous in life. Be strong in life. Now, here's what we've been doing for the last five weeks. If you're just joining us now, I'm going to give you the big perspective. How? How do you want me to be bold? Five different ways. Let me show you. Let's put them up on the screen. Be bold with your choices. And we, we talked about, you know, the Jews are wandering around and, and, and in the wilderness. And, and God says to them and he says to us, quit wandering around in a spiritual desert. Quit wandering around in a spiritual wilderness. I have more for you. I have more for you. You've got to believe that, but you've got to take a step forward in your walk with me. You've got to be bold in your choices. Now, one of the big issues that, 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 that God revolves around as he speaks to the Jews in chapter 1 is he says, make sure that this book never departs from your mouth. Make sure you meditate on it. Make sure you do it. If you want to make a bold choice to live for Christ in life, it's going to be a, a direct relationship to you in this book. Now, let me explain it to you real simply. Take a chunk of ice take a chunk of clay, throw them in a parking lot in the sunlight, the clay is going to harden. The ice is going to melt. Do you, do you want to know that the same thing happens with your soul in this book? When you're confronted with the truth of, of this book, you have a choice. You have a choice to allow this book to harden you. I, I've seen it for years. I can feel it as I'm talking to some people. Really? You really want me to, you gotta be kidding me. That's what this is, this telling me to do? And you can feel their soul hardening. You can feel them taking a step back from God and going, I don't think so. You have that choice. You have the choice to allow this book to harden you, make you angry, make you upset. Or you have the choice to allow this book to melt you and to mold you and to transform you. But whatever you choose will impact your choices. And whether they are boldly living for Christ or not, be bold in your choices. Be bold also in your faith. There's two instances, at least in the book of Joshua, uh, the first couple chapters, where God asks them to do something that seemingly is nonsensical. Doesn't make any sense. Number one, uh, here's what I need you to do. Two million Jews, I need you to cross the Jordan. Yeah, how, how are we going to do this? Yeah, no, just start walking. Yeah, it's, it's 15 feet deep. Yeah, go ahead. Just start walking. Get, get, get your feet wet, get up to your thighs, get, get up, to your, up to your waist, up to your shoulders. When, when you're wet, when you're, when you're in the water, then and only then will I stop the flow of water and you can cross. Oh, okay. Second nonsensical thing. First big battle they have, this big fortress of Jericho. You guys want to win? You want to defeat Jericho? I got a perfect battle plan for you. You're going to walk around quietly for seven days. Then you're going to sing some worship songs, play some trumpets, yell real loud, and you'll win. Question, do you have the kind of faith to do what God asks you to do even when it doesn't make sense, especially when it doesn't make sense? Be bold in your faith. Trust him, obey him in spite of consequences, in spite of circumstances. Be bold in your faith. Be bold in ruthlessly eliminating sin. Get rid of sin. 20 years ago, I could still remember seeing this story on the news about uh, a bunch of a bunch of farmers in New Delhi, India, were all upset at their government, all upset at the politicians because the, the, the politicians and the government in India had decided to import dung from Holland, Dutch dung, and bring it to their country to be used as fertilizers. And all the farmers in India and in New Delhi were like, hey, 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 
we got plenty of cows here. we got plenty of our own dung right here. You don't have to import it. So here's what they did. About 100 farmers filled up 10 carts of dung, marched it to Parliament, and dumped it on the, on the steps of Parliament. And th- this is what I really like. They started to chant, Our dung is better than their dung. Our dung is better than their dung. And that's what self-righteous people do. My dung, excuse, my crap, my sin, certainly better than theirs. You want to win? You better ruthlessly eliminate sin. Stop playing games. You're playing games. And this, this one word keeps coming up over and over and over again in the first chapters of, 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 of Joshua. Consecrate yourself. It's a fancy way of saying, fix it. You don't want to know why you're not winning? You're playing with sin. Fix it. I want you to be bold with your first fruits. God says, you want to know how, how you win? You better make me first. Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. God says in the Ten Commandments, you will have no other gods before me. I'm number one. You want to win? You got to put me number one. Put me number one in your, in your family. Put me number one in your time. Put me number one in your career. Put me number one, last week we looked at, in your finances. And this, this, this principle of the first fruits and tithe. And, and here was the interesting thing. And, and I know some of you caught it, and I didn't spend much time there. But here's what he said. This is God. If you apply the principle, you're guaranteed blessing. But there's a flip side. If you choose not to apply the principle, you're guaranteed some sort of consequence. And that's what should make you a little nervous. He says, be bold. Now, I know it makes you nervous. Be bold anyway. And today we're wrapping up the whole study. You want to win in life? You got to do those four. And the last one is pretty important. You got to be committed to, to getting your prayer life up and going. Okay, it's interesting. We as Christians, if I were to ask for a show of hands, I'm not. How many of you believe in prayer? All of our hands would go up. Question, how many of you are actually doing it? That's the issue. It's not whether we believe in it and fill out the blanks. Are you doing it? Now, part of our month, we had a prayer event. We had it last Sunday. This is what it looked like. We uh, we started uh, right outside here. There was a bunch of us right out through those doors and kind of like the Jericho March. We marched up to, to our property on Hilltop Drive. We did not walk around it seven times. We were afraid that the building would fall down. We just kind of, we went there and then we had prayer stations. That's the bottom left. We had about a 45 minutes of different prayer stuff and prayer events. And then we got uh, in a big circle on the land and, and we did two things. We pray, prayed a prayer of dedication and commitment for the land. And, and then we prayed for the warriors. And so those are the two things that we did last night was because of us, right? And some of you are thinking, God doesn't care about that. He may not, but I'm not going to take a chance. I'm going to ask for it anyway. And uh, you know how I could be. So what we're going to do, if you take your study guide, flip it to the backside. I'm going to talk to you about four key prayer requests. You want to win in life? I'm assuming you do. Who don't want to win in life? Four things you've got to pray for. The first one's going to take us a little bit of time. Here's number one. You've you've got to have uh, an understanding and awareness concerning the enemy. You have to be willing to persevere in the, now, in, in, the, in, in the face of the enemy. Now, third time this is coming up. If you want to live for Jesus Christ, take it to the bank. You will be attacked. We are walking out those doors naively thinking that everybody loves Jesus and everybody loves the direction I'm going in. That's just not the case. You have to be ready. And I don't want to be melodramatic, 
But we are in a spiritual warfare. And there's three things I want to talk to you about concerning our enemy and what he's trying to do to you. Number one, if you want to jot this down, is he's trying to lie and trick to you. He's trying to lie and trick you. Now, I am not going to put all the verses up on the screen. So whether it's on your phone or your Bible, I would encourage you to follow along. Uh, I'll put the key verse up to, to give context. But Joshua chapter nine in my Bible, it's entitled the Gibeonite deception. Verse one. When all the kings west of the Jordan heard about these things, what are these things? Well, it's that, that the Israelites have defeated Jericho, the Israelites have defeated Ai, and they are beginning to take the promised land, right? We've heard about all these things. Those in the hill country, in the western foothills, along the entire coast of the Great Sea, as far as Lebanon. And then it lists a bunch of kings. Verse 2, they all came together to make war against Joshua and Israel. So, oh my goodness, they're coming, they're attacking, they're taking over the promised land given to them by God. And then we read this. Let's put it up on the screen. When the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done. These are different than the four, four, four kings or so listed in verse 2. When the Gibeonites heard what Joshua has done, to Jericho and Ai, they came up with a different strategy. They resorted to a ruse. So understand, everybody's afraid of the Israelites. Most of them go, okay, we got to get together and fight them, except these guys. They go, we're going to come up with a different strategy. We're going to try and trick them. What's the trick? Well, let me read to you if you have your Bible still open. It says, they went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn out sacks and old wineskins cracked and mended. Verse five, the men put on worn and patched sandals on their feet. They wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal and they said to him, here comes the lie. Here comes the ruse. We have come from a distant country. Far, far away. Make a treaty with us. The men of Israel said to the Hivites, but per, perhaps you live near us. How, how can we make sure and how can we make a treaty with you? So here's the trick. Oh, my goodness. The Israelites are going to kick our butt. So now let's show up. Let's put old clothes on. Let's put old moldy food in our sacks and let's try and convince them that we're not from Canaan. We're from a long way away and we're just coming to pay respects to them and have a treaty with them. The minute they sign the treaty, then we're safe. That's the lie. That's the trick. Well, what what ended up happening? Well, what ended up, ended up happening? Uh, it says the men of Israel sampled their provisions. In other words, that, that that's in verse 14. They tasted the food. Yeah, you're right. It's old food. Oh, my goodness. They, they must really be coming from a long ways away. And then we read this. Let's put it on the screen. Verse 15. So Joshua made a treaty of peace with them and let them live. And the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. He's not called the father of lies for nothing. Your enemy's number one strategy to mess you up is to lie to you, to trick you. It's his number. He's not coming after you with a baseball bat. He doesn't need to. All he has to do is this. If he can get you or me to believe something that is not true about you, about your marriage, about your spouse, about your career, about your finances, about your church, about your pastor, about your God. If he can get you to believe something that is not true, it always, every single time, negatively impacts your family, impacts your life. Every single time. He's got you. He doesn't have to put any work in. Just get them to believe something that's not true. 
and they will mess it up all on their own. That's why it's so significant. God, please help me understand what he's trying to do. Give me awareness of the enemy. Give me perseverance to read through his lies. That's the first thing. Second thing that you need to pray for is understand he's going to try and gang up on you. He's going to try and gang up on you. Look at chapter 10. It says, verse 1, Now Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, first time the city of Jerusalem is mentioned in the Bible. Right here, uh, Joshua chapter 10. It's this king or this warlord that is now controlling Jerusalem. And this guy happens to be a leader. And he says, Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had taken Ai and totally destroyed it. He also did the same to Ai and its king, as had done to Jericho and its king. And, and that the people of Gibeon were making a treaty with Israel and were living near them. So he's heard, oh my goodness, they've defeated Jericho, they defeated Ai. Now the Gibeonites have made a peace treaty with them. What does he decide to do? He gets smart. He decides to do a different military approach. And here's what we read. Let's put it on the screen. So here's what he organizes. The five kings of the Amorites, and you have them all listed out there. They all came together, joined forces to fight against the Israelites. Principle number two about your enemy. Have you noticed that when life starts to tank, when life starts to go down, when life starts to get sucky, it's not just one thing that happens to you. It's three, four or five things that happen all at the same time. Have you noticed this? Something happens with your job. And then something happens in your married marriage and then he kicks you in the gut with your finances and then your water heater goes out and then something happens with your folks and then something happens with your friends and then something happens with the kids. It's on and on and on and on. And sometimes the reason is he's ganging up on you. You know why? He knows you're not going to go down with one punch. But if I can get him five times, maybe I can put him on their knee. God, give me the awareness of what he's doing. Give me the perseverance to keep my guard up because I'm going to get through this. I'm going to get through this. The third thing you need to understand is not only does he try, try and lie to you, he try and gang up on you, he's going to try and get you to compromise. He's going to try and get you to compromise. Now, this is kind of interesting. In chapter uh, 10, verse 6, the Gibeonites, these are the guys that tricked the Israelites. The Gibeonites sent word to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal. Don't abandon your servants. Come up quickly and save us. So the king of Jerusalem and those five kings are now attacking the Gibeonites. This is the perfect time for the Jews to go. You know what? They lied to us. They kept us from attacking them. I'm going to we're bailing on them. I know we have a peace treaty, but we're going to bail on them. They're on their own. The problem is that if you do that, you've now compromised your word. The minute you do that, you've now compromised who you are as an individual. And the minute you do that, the enemy's already won. You see what I'm saying? So even in the mistake, God expects us be a person of honor. It's fascinating what Joshua does. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men, to defend the Gibeonites who just a chapter earlier had lied to him. Is the enemy attacking you? You better believe it. You need to understand that prayer number one is, God, give me the awareness to know what the enemy is doing and give me the perseverance to stand tall. Okay? Prayer number two. Prayer number two. Give me direction in life. You know, part of me feels bad for the Jews. And, and part of me, when you read the text carefully, realizes they just bring it on themselves. Check this out. Remember just before the lie? 
Just before they got tricked, I didn't read this verse to you, watch. Verse 14, the Israelites sampled their provisions. What did they do? They went and tasted the, the bread. They went and tasted the chili. They went and tasted the milk. And they're like, you're right. It's old. They must have come from a long way away, right? Watch. They tasted and sampled the provisions, but here it comes. They did not inquire of the Lord. They didn't ask the, ask the Lord. There's a story of a guy who gets a job working for a logging crew, cutting down trees. And uh, he's so excited. He's been looking for work for a long time. Monday's going great. Tuesday's going great. You know, by Thursday afternoon, the foreman comes up to him and says, uh, when you're done with your shift, see me in the office. We're going to cut you a check. We're letting you go. And this poor guy's devastated. He's like, why? I mean, I, I, I'm here early. I stay late. I work through my breaks. You know, I, I, I'm working so hard. Right. And uh, and the, and the foreman's like, you know, to be honest with you, day number one, Monday and Tuesday, you were one of our top performers. But by by Wednesday and, and then today, you are our, our least effective performer. You know, and the guy's just devastating. The foreman can tell, you know, this guy seems honest. So he says, can I ask you a question? Have you been sharpening your axe? And the young guy says, no, I, I've been too busy for that. Can I tell you something? You spending time in prayer and prioritizing prayer is the equivalent of sharpening your axe. Some of you are working super hard and you can't figure out why you're not getting ahead in life. I don't mean to pile on you, but I need to ask you this question. How many minutes did you spend praying this past week? And and praying for your food don't count. You You should do that no matter what. God, thank you for the meal. I'm hungry. Amen. That's what I do, right? I don't like people that prayer long praise for meal. I'm hungry. Let's go to it. (laughs) Honestly, how many minutes did you spend praying for that marriage, that family, your finances, your health, all those things that are we have in life? Now, if you're going to do it right, you better have a list. If do you ever pray and, and, and you don't have a list and before you know it, you're thinking about your doctor's appointment, the warriors, summer. I'm praying for this person. I'm praying for that person, this issue in my life. I'm praying for our bold campaign. I'm praying for my... How many actual minutes did you spend doing that this week? Now, I'm telling you because I care about you. You want to know why some of us have issues in our life that are so messed up? You're not spending any minutes in prayer. And so this is me encouraging you and challenging you and saying, you've you got to take the time, you've got to carve out the space to say, I'm giving it 10, 15 minutes a day, a day, right? So God, give me, give me an understanding of, of what the enemy is doing. Number two, give me the discipline to just do it and ask for direction, ask for wisdom, okay? Number three, give me boldness, give me courage when I'm afraid. It, you know, in Joshua chapter 10, verse 8, um, God says to Joshua, just before he's going into battle, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now, in the chapter one, which was our theme verse, three times he says to him, be bold, be courageous, be strong. Be bold, be courageous, be strong. By the way, just in case you missed it, be bold, be courageous, be strong. Why? What we don't read, every after every time he says that, he always includes something that says like this, be bold, be strong and courageous, because I know you're afraid, because I know you're worried, 
because I know you're anxious, because I know you're stressed. Can I ask you a question? Anyone show up here today, have a little bit of worry and stress in your life? It's called life, right? We all have issues and things that we care about that aren't working out or whatever. You know, you don't need courage. You need, don't need strength and boldness for small stuff. You need it for the big stuff. And some of us walked in here with burdens. And I'm telling you, one of the ways you deal with it is by God not maybe taking care of the issue, but taking care of your soul. God, could I just ask you, I'm, I'm here with stress. I got worry and anxiety. Could you just give me courage? Could you give me strength to keep keeping on? I, I know it's a dated film, but those of you who are my age will recognize this film right here. Remember Hoosiers? Remember the movie Hoosiers? It's, it's coach, you know, I don't remember his name, but Gene Chack, uh, 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 Hackman, Shackman. Hackman plays the coach, you know, and he, he comes to this small little Indiana school there, a nothing team, and he turns him into a championship team. This scene, you know, he has five starters. In this one scene, I can't remember if the guy gets hurt or one of his guys fouls out, but he needs a new player. And so he calls on this guy. His name is Strap, right? And Strap never plays. He's like, Strap, you're in the game, right? So Strap's nervous, right? And he, and he, and he bows and he starts to pray. And everybody's waiting. And the referee's like, uh, we're ready to go. I mean, either bring him in or sit him down, but we're going to start, right? And, and he's still praying. And finally, finally, coach puts his hand on his shoulder and he says, Strap, God wants you on the floor. <laughs> and he gets up and he heads out. Okay, your coach, your spiritual coach, wants to put his hand on your shoulder and say, you know what God wants? He, he wants you on the floor. Get out there. But not before you take a knee and you ask for the strength the courage and the boldness you're going to have to do to go in to the game. See, some of our struggles, if we could, even if we don't fix what's out here, if we just fix what here, it would so make it so much better, wouldn't it? Ask for it. That's all I'm telling you. God, give me strength. Give me the courage to keep going on. Okay. Fourth request. I'm going to wrap it up with this. Give me what seems impossible. Give me what seems impossible. Joshua chapter 10, verse, uh, I'm going to start with verse 6. The Gibeonites sent word to Joshua and the camp of Gilgal, do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly to save us. Help us all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So this is, this is the people that made a treaty with him, tricked him. Now they're being attacked and they're like, hey, we made an agreement, right? Help us out, right? Verse 7, Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. So we've heard all this so far. Now watch, verse 9. After an all-night march, so they're committed to helping him out. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise. The Lord threw them into confusion before Israel, who defeated them in a great victory of Gibeon. Great military strategy. We surprised them. They weren't ready for us. Israel pursued them along the road, going to Beth Haran and cut them down all the way from Akeldah to Makedah. As they fled before Israel on the road from Beth Haran to Akeldah, the Lord hurled large hailstones down on them from the sky. And more of them died from the hailstones than were killed by the swords of the Israelites. So God's on your side. He's going to fight with and for you. Verse 12 comes the crazy prayer. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to Israel, here's what we read. Put it on the screen, okay? Joshua says to God, he prays, and here's what he says. Uh, God, I need you to make the sun stand still. 
Say what? Yeah, see, what's happening is, is we're not done with the battle. We're about 60% done with the battle. And what I need is I need about another six to eight hours of sunlight. If I don't finish the job, right, then they're going to reorganize. They're going to get strong again. And I got to start from zero again. So God, what I need you to do is I need you to make the sun stand still over Gibeon. I need you to make the moon stand still over the Valley of Ajalon. And then I can finish the job. And, And so we read, so that the sun, in fact, stood still and the moon stopped till the nation avenged itself on its enemies. If you, if you look back in your text, the end of uh, verse 13, the sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. Well, there has never been a day like it before or since a day when the Lord listened to a man. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. Yeah, this is how we're going to end. This is how we're going to end bold. You're going to, we're going to go here. Really? That's cool. You're going to actually make me think that the sun stopped its rotation you're, you're going to make me think that the, the moon actually stopped rotating. The earth completely stopped. You know, all the. Yeah. OK, whatever. You know what? Just a little side note. Kind of interesting. Did you know that at least four to five ancient civilizations and cultures that coincided with Joshua chapter 10 all have on record some weird day that lasted super long? A Chinese emperor, a Greek historian, the Aztecs. And the Incas all have recorded some weird day that they don't understand why had sunlight twice as long. Now, let me just say this, and it might catch you off guard. Uh, It doesn't really impress me what God did. You know why? I've read this book enough to know he could do anything he wanted to do. I'm like, what? I don't know what he did. Could he ever stop the rotation of the earth and the sun? Sure, he could do that. He made it happen in the first place. He could have done, you know, like Alaska white nights and just, I don't know, had it really bright. He could have had angels in the sky with their iPhones on and just lighting everything up. I don't know what he did. I don't really care. That's not what impresses me. You know what impresses me? Who the heck does Joshua think he is asking for that? That's what you're going to come up with? Uh, yeah, I just need it to be light for another 20 hours. You talk about an impossible prayer. You talk about asking for the moon. Could I ask you a question? How big are your prayers? How big are they? You see, if you never ask for anything that's big, you probably aren't going to get it. I'm just saying. There's a, a story that is recorded by a guy called John Orberg. He's a pastor in Menlo Park right now. And uh, I want to read this story. I'm going to wrap up with this as we talk about bold prayers and impossible prayers. Here's what it says. One of my favorite adventures in prayer involves a guy called Doug Coe, who has a ministry in Washington, D.C. that mostly involves people in politics and stagecraft. Doug became acquainted. uh, Doug became acquainted with Bob, an insurance salesman who was completely unconnected with any government circles. Bob became a Christian and began to meet with Doug to learn about his new faith. One day, Bob came in all excited about a statement in the Bible where Jesus says, ask whatever you will in my name and you shall receive it. Is that really true, Bob uh, demanded? Doug explained, well, it's not a blank check. You have to take it in context of the teachings of the whole scripture on prayer. But but yes, it really is true. Jesus really does and want to answer your prayers. Great, Bob said. I got to start praying for something. I think I'm going to pray for Africa. That's kind of a broad target. Why don't you narrow it down to a country? Doug advised. All right, I'll pray for Kenya. Do you know anyone in Kenya? Doug asked. No, 
Have you ever been to Kenya? No. Bob just wanted to pray for Kenya. So Bob made an unusual arrangement. He challenged Bob to pray every day for six months for Kenya. If Bob would do that and nothing extraordinary happened, Doug would pay him $500. But if something remarkable did happen, then Bob would pay Doug $500. And if Bob did not pray every day, the whole deal was off. It was a pretty unusual prayer program, but then Doug is a creative guy. Bob began to pray, and for a long while, nothing happened. And then one night, it was, he was at a dinner in Washington. The people around the table explained what they did for a living, and one woman said she helped run an orphanage in Kenya, the largest of its kind. Bob saw $500 suddenly sprout wings and begin to fly away, but he could not keep quiet. Bob roared to life. He had not said much up to that point, and now he pounded, pounded her relentlessly with question after question. You're obviously very interested in my country, the woman said to Bob, overwhelmed by a sudden barrage of questions. Have you been to Kenya before? No. Do you know anyone in Kenya? No. So why do you happen to be so curious about Kenya? Well, someone is kind of paying me $500 to pray. She asked Bob if he would like to come visit Kenya and tour the orphanage. Bob was so eager to go, he would have left that very night if he could. When Bob arrived in Kenya, he was appalled by the poverty and the lack of basic health care. Upon returning to Washington, he couldn't get this place out of his mind. He began to write to large pharmaceutical companies, describing to them the vast need he had seen. He reminded them that every year they would throw away large amounts of medical supplies that went unused. Why not send it to this place in Kenya, he asked. And some of them did. His orphanage received more than a million dollars worth of medical supplies. The woman called Bob up and said, Bob, this is amazing. We've had the most phenomenal gifts because of your letters. We would like to fly you back over and have a big party. Will you come? So Bob flew back to Kenya. While he was there, the president of Kenya came to the celebration because it was the largest orphanage in the country. And then he offered to take Bob on a tour of Nairobi, the capital city. In the course of the tour, they saw a prison. Bob asked about a group of prisoners there. They're political prisoners, said the president. That's a bad idea, Bob said. You should let them out. Bob finished the tour, flew back home, and sometime later, Bob received a phone call from the State Department of the United States government. Is this Bob? Yes. Were you recently in Kenya? Yes. Uh, did you make any statements to the president about political prisoners? Yes. What did you say? I, I told him he should let them out. The State Department official explained that the department had been working for years to get the release of these prisoners to no avail. Normal diplomatic channels and political maneuverings had led to a dead end. But now the prisoners had been released and the State Department was told it had been largely because of a, a guy named Bob. <laughs> so the government was calling to say thanks. Several months later, the president of Kenya made a phone call to Bob. He was going to rearrange his government and select a, a new cabinet. Would Bob be willing to fly over and pray for him for three days while he worked on this very important task? So Bob, who was not politically connected at all, boarded a plane, once more flew back to Kenya, and he prayed and asked God to give wisdom for the leader of this nation as he selected his government. How about you? What are you praying for? I'll make you a deal. Take the Bob challenge. Pray for something, anything, faithfully, passionately and consistently for six months and see if God doesn't do his thing. What are you praying for? What's your big prayer? Oh, oh no, I, I get all the small stuff. I get that. What's your big prayer? 
You know, as your pastor, I want you to know what my big prayer is. My big prayer is that through the ministry of this church, this community would be transformed for Jesus Christ. Completely transformed. And you know what? As a coach, I know to tell my daughter's team, I I know never to lie to them because they pick up on it. It doesn't help them. And I'm not going to lie to you. The kingdom in this community is getting its butts kicked. George Barna, one of the most revered statisticians in the country, has just recently come up with this. He does it every year. It's his list of America's most and least Bible-minded cities. He, he's just trying to determine uh, what, what cities in the country believe, read, and actually apply this book. What are the top ones and what are the bottom ones, right? And he has all this research and all this demographic study. I, I'm just going to show you one part of the graph. Let me show you. Let's put it up there. Out of 100 metro areas in America, we're 94. We're one away from Sin City, Vegas. It doesn't get much worse than that. You can't go any lower. If you know me for any amount of time, you know I'm very competitive. You want to know where I'm most competitive? When it comes to the kingdom. And this kind of stuff drives me crazy. You want to know what my big prayer is? I don't want to be 94 anymore. Could, could we, could God through us, could, could we become 54? Why not? That's just average. If we're going to be 54, well, why not just ask for the moon? Why don't ask the sun to stop? How about 14? What the heck? If we're 14, how about top 10? We might as well ask for the moon. Through this church, through the church in this community, to make a difference so that people, when they think of our East Bay, think that's a community that follows Christ. That's a community that honors Christ. But it starts with God's people. You know, one of the things that matters to me the most in this project is you, you have to understand something. What I'm asking for is a big, a big ask. But you can't just have a big ask a big goal. You have to have a long plan as well. See, you're, we're not going to go from 94 to 54 just like that. We're not going to go from 54 to 14 like that. You're not going to go to top 10 quickly. You want to ask for something big, you better be prepared to stay in the fight. You know, let me just give you the context. A couple pictures, one verse, and I'm going to end. This is how Bay Hill started. That's Appian Way, right? I know you guys all want trombone back. We're probably not going to have it in a little while. But that's the worship team. They had four pews, five pews. Let's put the next picture up there. Children's ministry. Kids are just hanging out in the grass. Eventually, some of, some of you worshipped with us at Appian Way. This is what Appian Way Sanctuary looked like. Do you want to know how Bay Hill started? You know how we got here? It started with this. It was a vacation Bible school in 1939 when two churches came together and said, let's do something special for kids. And it was so good. You see the name at the top, Evangelical Free Church? That's what we used to be called before we called ourselves Bay Hills. That's the beginning of Bay Hills. You know what that is? That's a group of people understanding you want to make a difference in this community. It's not just about us. It's about the next generation. Let me share with you one verse. This one here. 
Psalm 102 says this, let this be written for a future generation that a people not yet created, they're not even born yet, a people not yet created will one day praise the Lord. What this verse is talking about is that someday in the future, 40 years from now, 50 years from now, there's going to be a lady that, that, that gives birth to a kid at Kaiser or at John Muir. And that kid, eventually, they're going to put him in Stewart or they're going to put him in one of the elementary schools. And eventually that kid will graduate and go to Crespi. And when they're done with Crespi, they'll go to El Sobrani Christian or Pinole High or De Anza or Hercules High. And somewhere in that, in that time, someone's going to invite them to our kids' Easter event. Someone's going to invite them to one of our summer camps. Someone's going to bring them to youth group. And they thought they were coming just for fun, but they're going to hear a story of Jesus. And it's going to change them. It's going to transform them. For the rest of their life, they're going to praise God. You want to go from 94 to top 10? You better understand that this church and this project, it's not about you. It's never been only about you. The reality is that some of us will never see the whole project through. You'll be in glory. You'll be gone. But your legacy can continue. Have big prayers. Why these small prayers? We got a big God that can make the sun stop. I want us to finish our study time. And I just want to have you. We're going to bring the lights down. And I want to just. Give you just a couple minutes to have some time, you and God. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I'm just going to prompt you on two or three things. Here's the first thing I want you to ask God. God, help me be bold in my faith. Ask him for that right now. be that church. We don't want to be that group of people that's only asking God for stuff. I want to encourage you to take about 20 seconds. Instead of asking him for stuff, I want you to take a moment and look in your rearview mirror and thank him for all the stuff and all the blessings he's given you. Take a moment and do that right now. Last prayer prompt. God, stretch me. God, make me a person that's willing to sacrifice and give something that I love. Give it up for something that I love more, your kingdom. Ask God, how do you want me to participate in this bold project? Just take 15 seconds and talk to him. Why don't you stand with me? We'll close in prayer. 
Before you leave, our, our kids are in the back selling tickets for Bay Hills Got Talent. It's going to be a fun night. Don't forget to do that. And don't forget, um, in three minutes, if you'll give me the honor, I'd love to take 20 minutes with you and uh, share with you the specifics of what's going on. Let's pray, and I'll let you get going. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for this study. We want to thank you that uh, you send us out into the world wanting us to win, but you've given us ideas. You've given us a battle plan. Remind us to implement and remind us to apply what we've learned. Father, we love you and we love this church. We realize we're not the perfect church, but you have been to be working in and through us. Um, churches don't do building projects unless things are going pretty good. And you're blessing us. And um, we don't want to take that for granted. We want to be involved in what you're involved in. I just pray for each and every one of us uh, as individuals and collectively as a church to get collectively little one handful of, of rice collectively each of us sacrificing can make a huge difference for the kingdom we love you and we thank you for our study this morning make us a people of prayer committed to talk to you communicate to you and lean on you in prayer we love you we pray this all in jesus name and all god's people say it's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had if you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, exists to help everyone take their next step closer to Jesus. Thanks again for listening.